We are so excited for today's episode of the Gentleman's Dojo. Oh my God. Today, we are going to peel back the curtain on one of the greatest institutions. We've been trying to get this this gentleman to be part of our show for a little while now. And he is here. He's calling in. Uh, Patrick, if you could make that call really quickly, that would be absolutely fantastic. Uh, We are excited, Stephen. Super excited. I am uh, an immense fan of this gentleman's work. Yeah, it's me. Hey, Bill, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, you're welcome. How you doing, guys? Good, good. So the author of The Late Shift, the author of The War for Late Night, an immense author in general. How about New York Times? New York Times. How about it for Bill Carter, everybody? Wow. Joining us on the dojo. Bill, thank you so much, bud. Yeah. So how you, what's going on, guys? <laughs> First of all, thank you so much. I know you're extremely busy. You're working with CNN. You're doing a bunch of other things. And we couldn't be happier that you took a couple minutes to be with us today because all of us as stand-up comics were such big fans of the late-night shows. I work over at Conan. All these guys have done plenty of stand-up spots on all of these shows. So to us, you really hit close to home because we're so connected in that world. I'm glad to hear it. How many guys am I talking to? Three. So Three. we got Gary Cannon, Patrick Keene, I'm Steve Byrne, and I think okay. I may be one of the few comics that I believe I did I did Conan, I did the Jay Leno show, and then I did The Tonight Show when it went right back. So I got to see all three versions. Okay. And, wow. yeah. and after reading, I, I picked up The War for Late Night a few weeks ago. I read it literally, I think, in 48 hours. It's yeah. a great read. Um, when you're, you know, the late shift, obviously, that's Johnny Letterman. This one's a lot Im- more. The ripple effects affect so many different shows, and the landscape of late night has changed so much. How, how ha- will we ever see anything like that again? These two titans going head to head, and still, <laughs> even even with the Leno Conan debacle going on and blowing up in Leno's face. You got Letterman off to the side watching it. Will we ever see anything like that again? I I don't think so because I get the feeling that the guys that are working now are, well, first of all, they're friendlier amongst each other, and I also think that they don't they don't feel the competition quite as much. I do think there's pressure on Jimmy Fallon mm-hmm. because there's always pressure on the Tonight Show. Uh, the Tonight Show is supposed to always win, and uh, you know I think that that longer term, if that you know continues that he doesn't win uh you know maybe inside nbc that would cause some sort of ripple of effect but i don't sense it at all and i certainly don't sense the uh you know the 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 underlying competitiveness that drove the other situations i think that's been diffused because there's just so many choices and people watch the shows in so many different ways now so so there's a lot of differences was uh, the one thing i want to ask you is was conan too nice and the reason i bring this up is is there was a moment in the book that you had mentioned where where letterman while conan's going to premiere on the tonight show letterman is offering to have leno as his first guest the night of the premiere correct yeah and yeah. then conan had an opportunity to kind of bury Letterman, at least for a night in the ratings, when the Sarah Palin debacle occurred. And yeah. Conan did not want to get into a, a situation where he was always taking the high road, it seems, right? Well, and I know certainly he was taking the high road with Dave. But Dave I mean, wouldn't you know, take was, it with, with him, correct? Well, Dave, Dave still wanted to play. He was in the game to play. 
And I, I think Conan thought, you know, well, Dave is, you know, Dave was his idol. You know, right. He was, he admired Dave so much that I don't think he was ever going to take him on in that competitive way. I mean, I think, interestingly, I think the first book's experience informed some of the things that happened in the second book. And they, they, they didn't want to have that kind of uh, enmity underlying the, the, the competition. It, it just, it made, certainly would have made Conan incredibly uncomfortable, I think, to decide he had to go after Dave. I mean, I just don't think he could have squared that with his, you know, idol worship. Um, was Conan's, you know, Conan in the public, his public persona, he was he was surely painted as the good guy, right? And Leno was the yeah. bad guy behind the scenes. And obviously when you read your book, there's a lot more to that. Was yes. was Conan writing that letter? People was Conan writing the People of Earth letter? <laughs> the people of Earth, yeah. The people of, was that kind of the the beginning of of the demise of this situation, where it could have been somewhat rectified. Everybody could have possibly gotten what they wanted, but Conan maybe preemptively wrote that letter. And look, maybe he was justified in doing it. But did that start a chain of events that well, really sure. started this all down? Oh yeah, there? well you know for sure because NBC was still trying, as they had tried the first time. They were trying to retain all of their people, so they had come up with that idea of putting Jay in front of Conan again for half an hour. And give Conan still the Tonight Show, you know, it, it was all kind of like a, a hodgepodge of an idea. But Conan could have accepted that. He could have said, "All right, well, listen, I got to put up with this for however long they want to keep Leno in here." Mm -hmm. But you know, he felt like they never gave him a fair chance. He felt like instead of giving him the Tonight Show and letting it be, they put Jay on in prime time. He was still behind Jay. He was. He still felt like. Jay was the guy, in, you know, in the prime position, and he wasn't getting a fair shot. And one of the best things that I, I, when I was writing the book, <laughs> the best thing you want to find out specific dialogue when you can. Mm -hmm. And it was great when when both Conan and the guys in the meeting when they told Conan this idea had the same a version of what Conan said, which I'm trying to remember now. But he said something like, you know, what does this guy have on you? <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, because he he just couldn't believe that they were going to go back again and give the show to Jay. So he was he was feeling righteously offended. And so he, instead of saying, I'm good, just going to roll over and take this, he decided to stand up for what he believed in. Was it the best move for his career? I don't know if that's sure or not. I mean, you know. Uh, if he'd stayed on NBC, might something else have happened? It might have. You know, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I think they I think they all had concluded, though, that Conan's act was, quote unquote, too narrow uh, for The Tonight Show. And is, is that and because that he, was a mistake? Is that because he came out to L.A.? Did, did The Conan Show lose a lot of its luster when it left? I, I, I don't see the lost luster, but I thought Conan was fantastic in New York. Really, I did. And it seemed to feed his energy and uh, his originality, I thought, more than L.A. Now, I, I know he disputes that, um, but I, 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 my own take was that his act played better, his personality, his style of comedy played better hosting the, the other show in New York. And, you know, it, it turns out to be kind of ironic that Fallon gets the show and he does move it to New York. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Fallon was you know? the odd guy out and all this. Was I mean. He could have Conan could have if Conan had said at the time that he was going to take over the Tonight Show, but I want to move to New York because I belong in New York. Mm -hmm. I think again the circumstances would have been vastly different. Was seven months 
You look, look, Lena was his lead-in, so there's also that. You know, it's so much more complicated than what it is on the surface, right? So Leno's yeah. his lead-in in prime time with the Jay Leno show. So, so ratings perhaps suffer during that time slot. But is seven months a good enough litmus test? Because as I'm reading it, I'm like, well, that's almost a, you know, almost a year. I guess you know, you're over the hump. Um, is, is that still short? I mean, when you're well, look, in the longevity <laughs> of late night, I guess. Here's here's what really was a huge factor the stations that the local stations right the affiliates were, right the affiliates mm -hmm. they were agitating to get conan out of there that was a gigantic factor right they felt like hey when we had jay you know we did much better what why are we doing this well and jay was killing them at 10 o'clock killing the you know the local ratings for their news at 11 so they wanted they just wanted out of that situation and so they were putting a huge amount of pressure on nbc so it wasn't going to last. It just was not going to last. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, they were, they had to make some sort of move. And they could have just said, I'm canceling Jay's show. Let's just stick with Conan. And let's just see how he does without Jay as a lead-in and over the long term. And they, by making that move, they indicated they didn't believe in Conan. And th there's no other way to interpret that. So the book really does show that nbc you know for for as much mud as they got on on their faces all the executives and yeah. there're definitely mistakes made they did at the end of the day win is that is that correct well they salvaged the situation they salvaged the the, the uh, tonight show's number one status because you know dave had 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 started to surpass conan mm -hmm. Uh, and so they put Jay back in and they went back to number one, which, you know, they think is the birthright of <laughs> Tonight Show. So they went back to number one and, and they then wound up sort of getting a much easier segue into Fallon. And so that at that point when all that took place and by the way, that transition was the only one done very smoothly. Because finally Jay was at a point where he was willing to step aside. Mm -hmm. And and so Fallon comes in and Fallon takes off and Fallon for the first how many years he was on the show there two years or so he's a pretty dominant number one so they felt like all of that justified their their decision making uh and you know then they could probably i i haven't asked them about this the guys who made the call but i'm sure they would say well then conan goes to tbs and he kind of disappears i mean he's he, yeah. his fans love him and he's still great he's no less talented but that's not a place where you're going to stand out. And when people talk about things that are going on in late night right now, Conan gets kind of short shrift. And I don't think he deserves it, but he doesn't get the same attention at all that he got when he was at NBC. Well, you know, I, I think he gets to do the show he, he wants to do. I yes, think he, he, he can be more subversive, as is noted no in question. the book. Um, and, and that was always an issue. Uh, you know, in the book, it states that there were many NBC executives prior to the launch of The Tonight Show. Uh, and even during The Tonight Show's run with Conan, there were many executives, allies like Ebersol, that, that yeah. stopped by Conan and Jeff Ross's office and said, look, you're playing to a much larger audience. Try to broaden the humor if you can. Right. Just just work yeah. with us and broaden the humor. And it seems like they never did that. Is that is that a major faux pas on Conan's part in, well, in terms of with the, with the executives? And yeah. did he lose credit with – did he lose – some points, if you if you will, with NBC in terms of making that decision down the road. He, yes, he did because the numbers didn't hold up. Mm -hmm. Now, you guys are comics. If some guy comes and tells you, 
hey, you know what? You're not you're not funny this way. Try this way. What would you say? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean? Yeah. So oh, yeah. I don't blame yeah. I don't blame Conan for saying, uh, you, you know, let me do my thing. You know, uh, that's that's what I that's what got me this far. Am I going to change? Because when and, let... and to be to be fair, Conan did change in a way because he didn't do a long monologue on his late night show. He did a very short monologue and he started to do a much longer monologue, which is the tradition of the Tonight Show. And he he did make some adjustments. But, you know, there was a fascinating uh, 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 bit that Conan did early on in, in his reign on Tonight Show. Where he, he put on an incredible disguise and he went and he, he had a focus group of older viewers. Right. Mm-hmm. And showed them clips of, of his own show, Conan's show. And all of these older people saying, this guy looks insane. I don't want to watch this guy. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it was very funny, but also kind of telling right. that, that his style was not the middle America style. And whatever one you want to say about Jay, Jay was followed the, the, uh, the, the prescription that Johnny Carson set out, which is that you don't play to New York and L.A. with that show. You play to the middle of the country. And if you think about it, it makes total sense because in New York and L.A., it's on at 1130. In Chicago, it's on at 1030. You have a much, much better chance to get a bigger audience. And, and you got to play to them. You can't just play to the East and West Coast because they those people will kind of drift away. And I think that's that one thing that cost Conan. Mm-hmm. How did Letterman make it work when he made that jump from 1230 to 1130? He, he, he made the adjustment, too. He sure did. He sure did, and NBC believed he wouldn't. NBC believed he was way too narrow and and sort of off-putting to guests and all that. And Dave, who who when he first started, really did not pay much attention to inter- interviewing at all, became actually a very good interviewer and and gave you know much more attention to that than he had before. And he just you could see he broadened his act. He put on suits. He he you know became much more elegant in his presentation. You know, and did some of the bits he used to do, but he clearly went with a more mainstream approach without losing any of his comic ability. I mean, I think he, you know, Letterman's a genius, but I I think he was able to do it, you know, and and maybe Conan could have done it over time. I mean, I think that's Conan's argument. Give me more time. You know, I I think I could find find the show. Bill, do you think a guy like Colbert, who was so good when he was was at the you know eleven o'clock, eleven thirty spot, do you think like him transitioning now to the Ed Sullivan Theater? It's a bigger theater. Do you think that it's almost that same thing you were talking about with Conan? Like he wasn't initially ready for that bigger scale. He was more intimate when he was kind of that character type person. Yes, and it really shocked me because because I thought Colbert would would make the transition pretty easily because he's he he's an, he was an older guy he, he had real experience he's an unbelievably smart guy uh but i thought he was really off-footed when he started the, the cbs show he just didn't he didn't have his voice he didn't have his comic voice he was really struggling and and it was maybe it was partly the big the big theater or the bigger show i don't know but he certainly didn't have what he had on that 11 o'clock show, which was often screamingly funny. Right. I mean, the guy could be just unbelievably killer funny. And he just was all over the place on that show. And I, and I, his interviewing was poor and, and he was in trouble. Honest to God, he was, he was in trouble uh, at CBS. Uh, and, and he was saved. He was saved partly by a decision by uh, Moonves, the, the head of CBS to put, an actual news producer in charge of the show, which everyone thought was, what's this? Well, you, you know, a guy to produce news shows, but it was really smart because 
Conan, I mean, Colbert needed that organizational skill to just let him concentrate on the comedy. And then, of course, the, the, the Trump thing became his his lifeline. And, mm-hmm. and he jumped on that and he's back to his comic voice. And the audience sees what he can do. And he's, again, occasionally screamingly funny. And you just see what what the, you know, the natural ability is. But I do think, yeah, he, he really surprised me. I thought in a way shedding the character was going to be good for him because how could he be less funny as himself than doing, you know, having to be forced into doing a ca- character every night? That seemed to me such a high wire act that he was being in a character. But it was actually really difficult for him to, tra- to transition to himself. Were you surprised that he got the nod for the Letterman spot? Or was that a surprise to you? No. Uh, I, I kind of knew all along that, that that's the way Moonves had been leaning. Uh, the only thing I thought was that at the, in both at the time they, they named Colbert and at the time they named James Corden, that CBS would have been really smart to consider a woman. And the thing is, in order to give the Letterman show to a woman, you, oh, there's only one choice. You could own, there's only one woman you could have asked to do that job, and that's Tina Fey. And she wasn't going to do it. So, you know, you needed the big, big play to, to replace Letterman. And, and Colbert, by the way, was feeling really not well-liked, not well-loved by the management over at Viacom. They, they hadn't treated him very well, so he was eager to move on. I want to ask you, Bill, you know, does, does Conan deserve the, you know, when you, when you see the public perception, when you go back to the Conan, Leno, the whole debacle, does Leno deserve the... I guess bad guy tag he's been given in Conan the White Knight because when you read the book there obviously it's a lot more intricate than that and it's a business. Yeah. Uh, does Leno deserve the you know? I I tried to not take a position on that and yeah. I think and I think I succeeded because Jay has no problem with what I wrote at all. Right. Uh, and I and I and I had to point out the, some of the things that went on obviously and. The hostility that was, you know, directed at him was incredible, especially from like Jimmy Kimmel and, and people. But I think I, my own, I try to take the position that well, let's look at everybody's point of view. Obviously, I, I loved Conan as a performer. I thought he was great. Was he great on the Tonight Show? He was less great, in my opinion, on the mm-hmm. Tonight Show. He might have gotten there, but I think he was less great. Was was Leno a better ratings draw? You have to say he was a better ratings draw. So from a business point of view. NBC had every right to make that decision. I think there was a feeling among the comic community that that Leno would never leave the stage. He would never let the other guy get the job. And he and, and there was a feeling that he screwed Letterman out of the Tonight Show and that he was screwing Conan out of the Tonight Show. And you have to say this is what Jay lived for. He lived for that show. Mm-hmm. This was his this was his ambition too. And did he use underhanded tactics? I wouldn't say they were exactly underhanded, but he was certainly not, you know. Uh, willing to to cede territory, he didn't. He wasn't willing to do that. And if you think that makes him a bad guy, then you can accuse him of that. I think most comics or, or most people in any job would say, "I want the big job. I'm going to fight for my job." Bill, do you think? Because I also spent some time working. My very first warm up gig ever was with Craig Kilborn. And then I transitioned. I worked at Craig Ferguson. Do you think when like a guy like Craig Ferguson says, "Oh, I had no interest in doing the 11:30 spot," I mean, is that? kind of bs that it was just because they didn't get it is that part of it well i know i know there was for a time a an option in his contract to get it if dave left so i mean he was he was willing to put that in a contract so uh no of course of course he would have taken of it course. i mean come on yeah you know i mean 
I, I think he for Craig. I think he. I don't know. I think he wants to. The, I, I think he just wants to stay on serious XM. Serious XM. That's the big play. Two seventy two. But I think for Craig, he, he would have needed to do it early because by the time this transition happened, I, Craig's you know star had faded a bit, and he wasn't he wasn't as hot an act as he was. There was a period where he was pretty strong. Uh, you know, he had a tremendous female following, which is unusual late night. Uh, and you know, I, but I do think you know, of course, he would have taken the job. I mean. There's no, there's no comic alive who isn't going to take that job. So when Conan goes to TBS, and then that that bumped Lopez. How how Lopez didn't last well. Long Lopez, with. no, no. I mean Lopez was not even doing that well, and he was he he got a reprieve in a way. They probably would have canceled him if Conan hadn't come, and they moved him to go behind Conan. So Lopez did not object at all because it was you know sort of a uh, a lifeline for him that he could stay on the air. I, I think one of the most telling stories in the book to me is that. Here's Conan, and he he'd like to, he would like to have gone to Fox. That would have been his, you know, his outlet. And 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 the real irony is he could have done that five years earlier when he decided to park his career for five years, waiting for the Tonight Show. He could have gone over to to Fox at that time, and I think he would have been a big hit then. But anyway, so he's here. He is. He's hoping for Fox. Fox is falling apart. They're not sure what they're going to do. This guy from TBS wants to come and see him. They don't even know what TBS is. They have, they have to be told what it is. They have a conversation with him, Steve Coonan, and he's he sort of sells them on it. And they're kind of thinking, this is kind of, you know, maybe we should consider this. And they go back to, to Rick Rosen, the agent's office, and they're sitting around talking about the deal. The deal sounds really good. What about TBS? What do we know about TBS? Well, I don't know. It's like, kind of, and someone says, why don't we, let's put it on. Let's just see what's on. Let's turn it on. And someone says, well, okay, what channel is it? And the other guy says, well, I don't know. And they, I don't know. And there wasn't anyone in the room who knew what it was on. There was one person in the entire group that knew what channel it was. And, 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 of course, that story was told to me, I guess, by Jeff Ross. And he thought it was really funny. And it is funny, but it's also a little telling. Yeah. Like, if you go there, people might not be able to find you. Preaching in the so, choir here, Bill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, by the way, Bill, do, do, does... Do the networks really care a lot about that twelve thirty spot, like a Seth Meyers or a James Corden? Because obviously, like you said, the landscape has changed so much. James Corden has said in an interview, the carpool karaoke's those are just such a downloaded thing for his show that they yeah. don't really care when people are watching it as long as people are watching it in some way, shape, or form. Well, that's true of all these shows. I mean, they, they know that the audience is diminishing all the time for the actual television broadcast, watching it live. I mean, you know, how many people are going to always watch the way they used to? But I, you know, it, it was always kind of a farm team for the main go- main job. You know, it was sort of like that for a little while. It certainly was with Dave, and it certainly was with, with Fallon. But I think, and Corden can sort of be seen that too. And I think he was sort of close to getting the job if they had dumped Colbert at the time when they were thinking about it. But I, I do think it's now. It, it, look, I think NBC is is very favorable toward, toward Seth Meyers, who's doing extremely well. Uh, you know, in that in that time period, but Seth is actually older than Fallon, so you wouldn't see that as a natural succession move. So that's changed, but but everything's changed about TV. There isn't really scheduling isn't that important, and what time you're on isn't that important. So all of that is different. And if you're a James Corden fan, you don't have to watch him at twelve thirty. So you know you can watch all his bits on online, and it's less important that he's on at twelve thirty. It's less important in terms of your reputation. It's still important in terms of money because I, I was just talking to Jimmy Kimmel uh, two weeks ago 
And, you know, they, they do a, an awful lot with their YouTube channel and all that. They try to get a lot of viewers on that. But he says it makes peanuts, absolutely, very little money. And it is a fraction, a tiny fraction of what you still make from advertising on the, on the television show on the air. Bill, there was something interesting in the in the book. Uh, one of the executives had said, you know, we used to do Saturday morning cartoons. The networks don't do that anymore. Yep. Uh, you know, daytime, we don't do that anymore. Do you see a time when maybe late night talk shows don't exist? Is that is that a, a possibility? I don't think so because I think it's a and, and you're seeing it play out in 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 the impact they're having politically this year. Mm-hmm. They, they they are a daily commentary on America. Right. And that is incredibly valuable, and and people do need that, and they seem to need it more than ever right now. I mean, I think one reason they're responding to to Colbert and Seth Meyers uh, is because their people are on edge about what's going on in the country. They're just nervous, and yeah. they watch this with you know, you know like why give me a little relief or something, and they they want to laugh at that. And I I just think it's it's being underscored that. It's valuable now. Do you need I don't know nine of them or how how, I don't know how many there are? <laughs> yeah. Not now, but you know, there used to be one. I mean, Carson was alone for many years, mm-hmm. basically alone, and you know, then there became two, and then there became three, and you know, obviously, it's it's a format that you can't change too much because it's basically always the same: comedy, then a guest, then music, and you're out. You know that that's the whole format, so it doesn't really change. But I do think if you said, oh, there's four or five of these that we're going to get rid of, the others would thrive then because people would go back to them. I, I, I think one of the reasons the numbers are lower is because there's too many of them. There's too many shows to watch. Is there also so. a, a, a fatigue? that? Because, look, we're all comedians here. You know, we I, I'm on the road constantly. I, I think that there is a fatigue factor, too, that may be, you know, as successful, quote-unquote, as, as these shows may uh, may be perceived i think there's there's a big part of the country that that's tuning out too i mean i recently cut my cord i can't watch the news anymore it's just so draining and fatiguing to me and i understand the release but you know it it seems like all the shows are aligned politically on a spectrum to the left and for me who's more of a centrist I just like I'm like, and I love these shows i love i have friends that work on these shows and some of these guys I'm, i'm cordial with but it's just like I, I'm just hearing the same rhetoric over and over and over yep. and over again. And for me, I'm even fatigued as a comic that, that appreciates a I, good joke. I've said this in a number of interviews recently that I'm waiting for the moment of exhaustion. I'm waiting for that. And yeah. I think most of the comics that I've, most of the hosts that I've talked to have said, yeah, you know, we think that could happen, but they haven't detected it. The, the, the audience that is, you know, the anti-Trump audience, and mm-hmm. it's a big, it's a big part of America right now. Right. They are gravitating to this. They really, and 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 it's hurt Fallon that he's not doing it. <laughs> That's, That's one amazing. of the most telling things mm-hmm. that Fallon, because he and Fallon's a very talented guy, and he and he certainly has his own presentation that's very successful and i think he shouldn't stray from that but uh, you, you can see that he's been hurt by being he was considered considered pro-trump and then he doesn't do that much political satire and he's not his audience has shrunk he's lost viewers so it doesn't look like the audience is tired i i keep expecting it i keep thinking people are going to say isn't there something else you can make fun of yeah you know <laughs> but it's it has not let up it really hasn't let up 
And I, I put it down to how unnerved the country is. I think the country's really, really unnerved right now. As progressive as Hollywood is and, you know, the coasts are, why why hasn't there been a female voice in late night other than Chelsea, who was on E and then Samantha B? But that's Samantha, once a week. Samantha and B that's only on, does it once a week. And that's right. on Samantha TBS. B, yeah. Samantha B, I, I'm now confident in saying if someone offered her a five night a week job and she wanted to do it, she told me she doesn't. But and she wanted to do it. I think she'd be successful. She's very good. I think yeah. she's very talented. We all know Tina Fey could do it. We right. all know yeah. she'd be she'd be fantastic at it. I think it's a partly a lifestyle thing. This is an incredible consuming thing to do. You know, five nights a week mm -hmm. of this kind of thing, it takes over your life. You don't really have another life and you don't really do much else. There's not much else you do. You will occasionally host an award show. That's that's <laughs> the other thing you do, right? Or maybe you do uh, a stand-up routine at a, at a casino once a year. I mean, there isn't much else to do. So I don't think a lot of women find the lifestyle appealing that's one of the things mm -hmm. and i do think there aren't there's a, a smaller pool of of talented women that that could do it uh but i i'm convinced a woman who could do i mean ellen degeneres obviously could have done it she went in daytime right she's she's, she's got the same format basically and she could have done it uh but but it's it's just it's a smaller pool i think it's growing i think there are some fantastic young female comedians now and and why can't they eventually do it? I, I see no reason why they can't do it. So two quick questions, Bill, as we head into the home stretch, because I know that we are taking time up from you, and you've been so cordial in making this happen. Uh, are you ever going to write a book about the kind of the other guy in late night that nobody really talks about, Carson Daly? Uh, who <laughs> no, probably, no, probably I'm not, has I'm not writing a book about Carson. Who probably has <laughs> one of the best gigs ever. Nobody's paying attention to those ratings. Yeah, but, right? I mean, that, but that's that's why it's not a book. Right. <laughs> if, if nobody's paying attention, you probably shouldn't write a book about it. I worked. That was that was one of my first full time warm up gigs. I worked on that show, and then all I of a like sudden, Carson. By the way, I'm not. I do too. Him. I, like, I do too. Yeah, and and yeah. he. Exploded. It's the only late night show I ever got heckled by a member of the band. That is true. <laughs> do you remember that? Steve was doing stand up <laughs> the on the show, and the, and the guy's uh, heckling me. I'm like, what the fuck? Uh, is yeah, going on? that that would never happen anywhere yeah. else. Steve got heckled by uh, the band members. And uh, uh, second question, Bill, of all the shows that are on. What show do you love to sit down and watch that you're excited about that you enjoy watching? Uh, that would be uh, very foolish of me to cite one, wouldn't it? I mean, <laughs> I, I'm pretty I'm pretty plugged into all these guys, and I used to have a better system where I could watch the top of John Stewart. I mean, you could watch all of John Stewart, the top of Colbert, right? Then you could watch part of the monologues between uh, Letterman and Leno, and then Kimmel would be on at midnight. You could watch a lot. Right. win one right. night. Now it's much harder. It's much harder to do that. So, I mean, I'm not I, I'm like most viewers. I'm not watching as much on the air as I used to watch. I'll watch um, the monologue. I want to see Colbert's monologue a lot. I want to see some of the stuff. I mean, Fallon does some really original, you know, impression and music stuff. I, I like that. Uh, I've always enjoyed uh, Seth's, you know, commentary stuff. And I try to watch that. I, I enjoy uh, Corden's. Uh, incredible talent when he does some of that music stuff. So I, I was, I'm still jumping around. I'm not ignoring anybody. And Jimmy Kimmel, I think, has really put a flag down this year because the stuff he's done has been so out there and sincere and 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 real because of his life. Uh, and I also think Jimmy's a fantastic guy <laughs> and a good friend of mine. So I, I really watch as much as I can, but it's much it's much more hit and miss now because I'll go online and watch the monologue or something the next day. 
Bill, if I'm to, to stray just one second, I love the end of the book, War for Late Night, with uh, with Lorne Michaels' thoughts. Yeah, and yes. it got me thinking <laughs> when when Lorne decides to hang it up, um, is SNL going to continue uh, as an institution on NBC, or is it? so ingrained with Lauren's leadership that, you know, I, I know they had a season or two where he wasn't there yeah. and, 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 and it still went on, but, but does, does SNL it, it continue barely without survived. It, it barely, barely survived. They, they, the, the first time, the first person they put in charge, the show was a disaster. And then Ebersol came in and saved it for like three years. Right. And, and, and then, and then uh, was Eddie Murphy back. era. Eddie Murphy. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and then they brought in, one season they brought in you know uh billy crystal and martin short and everything and they had an outstanding year that year but uh i think the feeling at nbc is uh it's their show i mean mm. it's not Lauren's show it is their show right uh they've never ceded control of that uh but everyone who's ever worked on the show has said there's no way anyone will succeed him who's who's worked for him like Again, Tina Fey is of oh well. Tina Fey would be the right person to take over, and she said, "There's no way I will ever do that." Right. <laughs> so, so, so the logical successors are all saying, "I won't do it," but I can't see NBC stopping doing it if it's still the potent thing that it is now. It's huge. In Saturday Night, it's not only the biggest thing in late night; it's the biggest show on Saturday Night by a ton. Mm -hmm. And if you ranked all the shows in all of network television in their eighteen to forty-nine rating, it's in the top five, I think. Wow! And it's on at eleven thirty at night. So, yeah. So they have every reason to try to keep the franchise going if it's still viable. It goes through highs and lows that franchise, as we all know. Right. And I think replacing Lorne is a the biggest daunting task I can even ever conceive of. Fortunately for them, Lauren doesn't want to do anything else. And, and he says, you know, he wants to turn the lights out in the building. When the, wow. the last Saturday, I'm like, he wants the whole building to be shut down. So. And, and final question, Bill, uh, bigger disaster, the Chevy Chase show or the magic Johnson hour. <laughs> uh, well, I, I think uh, Chevy lasted far less time. Oh, it magic wasn't very long. I think Chevy was like six weeks and out, uh, wow. you know, so, but, you know, Magic Johnson to me is not the same thing. When people talk about shows like that, I'm like, he wasn't a comic, you know, right. that's, I was like a talk show, you know, that's like uh, Tom Snyder. I don't, I don't ever talk about Tom Snyder, even though he, he followed Letterman for years, because mm -hmm. to me, that's not what I write about. I, you know, I write about the comedy shows. Our buddy Craig Shoemaker, uh, who we know, was Magic's co-host on that show. And then at one point during a break, they went up to him during the show and they said, hey, you got to get off the couch. We're no longer using a co-host. And Craig said, what do you mean, at the end of the show? They're like, no, right now. And, <laughs> and the cameras came back and Craig yeah. was just gone. Well, and then wow. that was it. Yeah. <laughs> just ended right there. Bill, we cannot thank you enough. I know that you are so busy. You've been on our wish list to try to get you on yeah. the show for a long time. Well, okay. And the fact that you called in was absolutely amazing. We are all fans. I actually just watched The Late Shift last night again, which still holds up. I still love yeah. that movie. Uh, John Michael Higgins, who we know as friends, who plays Letterman in that movie. It, it, such a great Very movie. underrated performance, did, actually. Did Very you, underrated Did you contribute yeah. in the casting of that really quick? No. no. I, I did write the script, though. I wrote the script. So Such wow. a great movie. So, yeah. so many great books that you have. And I hope at some point our paths cross, whether it's at a comedy show where we can invite you out as our guest or maybe we see you over at Conan because, uh, you know, I'm there all the time. But hopefully our paths will cross live and we can actually meet in person. But I can't say thank you enough for calling in, Bill. Thank you. Right. Enjoyed it. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Thanks, Bill. Bill.
Bill Carter, everybody, right there. Wow. So much fun. Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So many great. I, I you could talk to that guy. Oh, he's a machine. He for, can do another two hours, I think. Oh yeah, my gosh, yeah. absolutely amazing. So I watched the Late Shift last night. Steve, the book that you just read from Bill, The War for was Late Night. The War for Late Night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So many, and it kind of went back to the whole Jason Zinneman conversation that we had about the Letterman book that he wrote, and uh, what a what a good story. Wow, so much going on. Well, I want to thank Bill. That was fantastic, yeah. Bill Carter call. for calling in. That was absolutely amazing. Yeah, if you, like, you know, we all have our, we're fans of, you know, the landscape of late night, or some people are Leno, some people are Conan. Arsenio. You read this book, Arsenio, you read this book, it really, it, everything on the surface that you perceive, it, there's so much more nuances and details and... You know, it, it kind of made me feel a bit for Leno. It made me feel a bit for Conan. But it also, you know, as much as they are to blame for their for the situations they put themselves in, you know, they should be appreciated for the talent and what they did. And I, I think Conan took the high road in certain examples uh, in the book. It's it's just a great read. I mean, two days I, I burned through it. It was it was great. Well, Bill Carter, thank you again for joining us. And uh, as always, thank you to everybody who keeps listening. Rate, subscribe, go to all that great stuff. Uh, let us know what you think. We'll send you out a Gentleman's Dojo t-shirt. Join us on the road. We're everywhere this year, all over the place, from where we just got oh, back from I mean, Seattle. Seattle but Florida. We're, we're in Florida, uh, New York, Chicago. Salt Lake City, Gotham in New York. So many great places. Go to Steve Byrne Live, Citizen Keen, GaryCannon.com, and we definitely hope to see you guys out on the road. The Gentleman's Dojo, all things comedy. Thank you. Goodbye. Try